High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 145 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 145 hits from Jeff Kent in 1997. How about that? Ooh, and those were hits for the San Francisco Giants and not the New York Mets or Cleveland Indians. Or Jeff Kent really was was kind of a known commodity, but but I mean, obviously. If you're looking for guys the Giants trade for to exceed their expectations, he's got to be on the very, very short list of guys who did that. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about Nelson Cruz uh, in our previous episode as a guy who just, you know, he wasn't fully formed, and then he he took it to another level. Uh, Jeff Kent was fully formed. He was a guy you knew what you're going to get. You're going to get an OPS 750 to to 800. He was going to have a little power. He was going to play a little bit, enough defense to stick. Uh, And then when he had his season, it was all RBI. It was 121 RBI. And, and people said, oh, yeah, but that's not the real measure. He's not going to get better in this. And then he just spent a decade being much, much better in every single way. You know, it's funny because we always go on a small tangent here to start these podcasts. Um, I wrote a story at the winter meetings a couple of years ago when Farhan Zaidi was first taking over the Giants prior to 2019, I guess. And uh, I talked to Brian Sabian and Ned Coletti. And I wanted to know how the Matt Williams trade came about because Sabian was a rookie GM taking over a pretty bad team. And I thought, you know, kind of some parallels here. And he traded this star player. Not that Farhan was in that position, but uh, my favorite little detail from reporting that story was that when they traded for JT Snow and they went down to Anaheim to make that deal, um, they kind of had the deal in place. And then Ned said to Brian, you know what? Let's just ask him for a million bucks. Like, what the hell? It's free to ask. Hey, how about a million bucks too? You know, like if if, if he turns out to be crappy and, uh, you know, and we're stuck with him, then, uh, you know. So they said, yes, we'll, we'll give you a million bucks. Just make sure you give us that sweet, sweet Fausto Macy in return. And, uh, and what happened? Uh, they took that million bucks and they turned it into, okay, they turned it into Doug Henry. Which is the most, ex- <laughs> which which isn't the most exciting thing, but they were really proud of themselves at the time. It's like, hey, we got we got Doug Henry out of nothing just by asking for it, and uh, and and they still kind of get giddy about that. Isn't that how how deals go when you get something that for better than you think you should? Even if it turns out to be you're buying something crappy, you you give yourself that pat on the back, like, hey, you know, I, I I scored a deal here. Oh, I like that story. I like that story a lot. Doug Henry was really good that first part of the year, not so much uh, the second part of the year, but. Uh, I did not. I think I knew that. But at the same time, I think my brain allowed me to release it back into the wild. And I'm glad I recaptured it because that is that is a good story. Yeah. I mean, we all have only so much in our brain pan that, that can hold and you, you got to save it for the good stuff. Well, we are uh, just kind of dancing around uh, this interminable losing streak. The Giants have lost three games in a row. Uh, the sky is falling. Uh, and it's time to sell at the deadline. Uh, am I am I doing this right? Is this the bit that we're doing? Well, not if you read something that uh, this uh, Brant Grisby guy wrote in uh, theathleticals.com, uh, pointing out that basically there's no scenario in which the Giants will be sellers. And there's a sneaky great line about the Arizona Diamondbacks in that story. So I won't I won't uh, spoil it for you here, but. Uh, 
do please pause this podcast, go read Grant, and then come back, and you might still be laughing. It is a classic stupid joke. Uh, sometimes I still have those in my quiver. Uh, not always, not always. I, I'm less jokey-jokey than I used to be. I, I pretend like I'm an analyst now. Uh, but the, the dumb jokes, I mean, that is my brand. I don't think you can say you're pretending to be an analyst when you're saying the Giants should make this move, and then literally 90 minutes of shelf life for that post, they make the move and option Mauricio Dubon. So... Uh, and, and basically, I, I could have written a whole story about why they did it, but instead I could just throw a link to your story. And, and that was, frankly, that was a hard day's work for me. Posting, yeah, I, copying and posting that way. <laughs> I feel bad when I write when, you know, so my idea is, okay, let, let's go and let's see what's, what's wrong with Dubon. Let's see what's wrong with Slater. I have no idea what I'm going to find. And then when you start figuring stuff out and it becomes clear that, Okay, all this information is telling me that uh, Dubon needs to go to Sacramento. Like, there's no, it's not helping him to be up here. It's not helping the team. Uh, it's just, uh, he's just digging deeper into the earth. Uh, it, it just seems so obvious. And uh, obviously the Giants felt the same way. And it's just a matter of him working on what he needs to work on against pitchers who aren't pinpoint perfect at putting the ball exactly where he can't hit it. Yeah, I mean, we, we all saw that he had regressed in terms of plate discipline, swinging at, at, at uh, pitches out of the zone. I thought it was really fascinating that you found that basically pitchers are attacking him up where they didn't before. And that's why he's going out of the strike zone is they're attacking him in a different spot. And he has not made that adjustment back. And we know that a guy with a 270 on base percentage is just going to be antithetical to what this front office values, what this coaching staff values. And the only reason that he was still in the big leagues, uh, you know, uh, especially when you fold in some of his inattentiveness on the bases, et cetera, was that he could play center field and shortstop. And nobody else besides Brandon Crawford could play shortstop. Up and you kind of needed him on the roster. Well, Stephen Duggar's emergence kind of changes that a little bit. They've got Mike Talkman who can play center field too, um, although he may be out of commission for a while. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, and, and, and Tyro Estrada has been hitting well at uh, AAA, and he's a right-handed bat. So, um, yeah, the, the roster calcul- calculus just didn't quite make him an integral piece. Boy, I have a lot of math in that, in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, is like you said, Tyro Estrada, it's not like he was just being uh, uh, nondescript in, in AAA. Uh, he was being a dude in AAA. And uh, to the point where his career high in home runs at any level is eight, uh, he has seven. He has 16 walks to 25 strikeouts. He is hitting 385. He's still just 25 years old. So it's not as if he is uh, like the classic Mike Yastrzemski late bloomer. He's almost prospect age. Uh, I don't know. Should I get excited about him or am I reading too much into, you know, the first couple months of a weird minor league season? I, I just think that he's a guy who's been playing a lot and, and Dubon hasn't and Dubon needs to play a lot. So it's like, I want to eat a cinnamon roll. Well, Tyro Estrada is a yummy, gooey cinnamon roll that's coming right out of the oven. It's piping hot, delicious, smells great. And uh, Dubon has been sitting in an Entenmann's package for about, you know, three weeks. So um, let's go ahead and put Dubon in the oven for now, and maybe he'll be gooey and delicious in, oh God, where where, where did I go with this? Um, I got to tell you, this is as weird (laughs) as you've ever gotten on Analogy Theater. (laughs) <laughs> well, we're, we're recording our podcast a little earlier in the morning, so the coffee hasn't kicked in yet. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's, you know, you, you you go with somebody who's been playing, who's who's obviously got a little bit of timing at the plate, and um, then you send out the other guy, hoping that you can kind of get get him going and 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 uh, 
and then maybe you make that switch a little bit later if it looks like it's warranted. But uh, uh, I, I and I really think what was interesting about your piece is that you didn't lump Austin Slater into the same boat with um, with Dubon. You're basically looking at what he's doing, saying, look, he's not hitting pitches that are kind of center cut, but he's still making good swing decisions, and that's the stuff that's sort of sustainable. That's the stuff that will bear out over time. They think he'll be okay, and then literally I read that and like. 30 minutes later, I'm listening to Gabe Kapler tell me on the field, we think Austin Slater will be okay. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I, I, I already knew that. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember at this point which podcast I've yammered on about certain points and certain players. So forgive me if this is repeating it, but I, I remember an interview with Jeff Francoeur back when he struggled the first time. You know, he came up and he was uh, the next big thing, a future Hall of Famer. And then it was, you know, he couldn't lay off certain pitches. He had real plate discipline, plate discipline problems. And he was telling the interviewer, look, I want to walk. I get it. I'm buying in like I money ball. Hooray on base percentage. Please let me have some. I, I just it's hard for me. You know, he's, he's saying it's it's hard for me to uh, not see this pitch as something other than a strike. I need to get better at that. And he wasn't hopeless. He was just saying, look, I get it. It's just hard. And for a player, sometimes they never get it. Sometimes they just, they can't tell the difference between a ball and a strike until it's too late. You're talking milliseconds here. You're talking neurons firing in the brain. Sometimes you just don't got it. Um, and Slater, I think, has it. And it's obvious his chase rate is still excellent. It's just a matter of fixing whatever mechanically screwed up in the strike zone. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I like uh, making golf analogies because that's one actual athletic endeavor that I've done a few hundred times, <laughs> although not lately. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, you know, you, you tell yourself when you're on the tee, it's like, you know what, I just need to swing nice and easy and controlled and just hit a driver right down the middle. I don't have to like just grip it and absolutely rip it. Um, it'll be so much better if I, you know, hit it 50 yards less and, and it's just right in the fairway. And then what do I do? I grip it and rip it. And that's on a pitch and putt. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. You, you tell yourself, this is what I need to do, but then you got to be disciplined and, and, and actually do it. And it's, it's a tough thing, man. It's especially when, uh, you know, that ball isn't sitting on a tee. It's moving all over the place. Yeah, I am a terrible at golf. So now that's how I know that we've talked about this before. Uh, maybe that Jeff Francoeur analogy. Uh, but I don't think I followed yours with a Call of Duty analogy because there's only just so there's only so good I can get at video games against these darn fast twitch teenagers. You know what I mean? Like my brain is just not going to be able to react in the way that it is like a teenager's is. My brain is slower. Uh, and when it comes to athletes, uh, some athletes just they're not going to be able to recognize that breaking ball. I think Slater has that I'm just not sure about Dubon. I mean, it's it's. I don't want to write someone off because this is a an organization of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Uh, this is players reinventing themselves. This is Stephen Duggar having far and away his best professional season. Uh, I just we haven't seen it yet, and he it's still so early into his career. Um, you don't want to write him off, but at the same time, he's played basically one full season, 150 games in the majors. We have to assume that maybe the pitchers have figured him out and uh, they don't have to unfigure him out. Well, you mentioned the name, Stephen Duggar. And when they send him to Sacramento, they should send him with a peanut butter sandwich and a, and a carton of milk and, and a, a whole uh, iPad loaded up with Stephen Duggar plate appearances from this year. Because, you know, he is striking out a lot, but he's his walk rate is way up. His chase rate 
is way down and and he's still taking aggressive swings in the strike zone, which is leading to some barreled contact. So um, that that kind of is the the I guess the, the guy who would give you some hope that it can stick and um, it can it can be fixed in, in people, especially when they buy into to a program. But you know, yeah, you you you're going to get people who just aren't going to be able to figure it out for one, one reason or another. And I just know there's a whole lot of people who are going to be rooting for the kid. I mean, he's got such an innocence on the field. He's so wide eyed. He's uh, you know, literally living out a dream, and you can tell that from moment to moment on the field. And you know, I think those are the guys that really connect with fans. And uh, but at some point, you gotta, as much as you hate to say it, you gotta, you know, it, it's got to be a, a business out there, and and you can't be quite so enamored with just being there. So, uh, and you know, he's a kid who works hard. He's not somebody who just shows up with his hat backwards and and says, "Okay, guys, let's play. Let's draw, draw lots for and see who's in the lineup." It's it's he he really does work hard at his craft. He was. Freaking on a balcony at a, a high-rise apartment in Miami during the pandemic, uh, taking swings. So um, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that he's going to put in all of the effort to try to to get back to to a level that is um, you know acceptable and, and, and become an asset on this team again. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's something that'll be a challenge for him for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's no way to fill this episode of the podcast with happy and happier thoughts uh, just because the Giants are, are losing for the first time, a three-game losing streak for the first time all season, which is bananas. Uh, but I watched Kevin Gosman uh, against the Dodgers and for the first time all year, for the first time, uh, gosh, maybe in his Giants career, it felt like the Dodgers not had him figured out, but they had a plan against him and not biting on his splitter when it was an inch uh, above the zone or below the zone. Uh, better than anyone I've ever seen. It, is it possible that there is some sort of magic answer to, to Gossman that, that the Dodgers have, or was he just a little off and they were a little on? I- I think that's what I would go with. You know, Gosman even said, hey, I should have given up more than three runs today. I just didn't have it. And there have been a couple other starts where he pitched well and, and he said, you know, I just wasn't, uh, I, I felt like I, I left some mistakes out there that I got away with. Um, so, you know, this is not Jacob deGrom. It's a guy who's got a, a great pitch in that splitter. Um, and clearly, he's got to have other things that are working because his splitter percentage has kind of ticked up and ticked up and ticked up lately. And one thing that's ridiculous is that uh, opponents before – um, uh, Taylor sort of filleted that two-run uh, double in the first inning. 
Uh, opponents were two for 50 with runners in scoring position against him. So I, I mean, I don't care if you're, you know, Sandy Koufax uh, being reborn with Walter Johnson's arm attached. It's, it's, you're not going to go two for 50 with runners in scoring position against uh, major league hitters. So, um, you know, some of it will probably even out over time. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, that was a very, very patient team and he didn't quite have it. And, and you merged nudge each of those two things a little closer together. But then you still look up, and he threw 90 pitches in five innings, so they did a really good job driving up his pitch count. But, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a fluky hit. He put himself in, in a position to have bad luck happen to him with the two walks in the hit batter in the first inning. But one fluky hit and one solo homer, and that was kind of it. We're not talking about him giving up, uh, you know, the full Di Sclafani. So um, I, I, I don't really worry about him too much. He'll start the last Sunday before the All-Star game. Presumably he'll go to the game, but he'll be able to be replaced on the roster. And I'm sure that he'll be fresh and ready to go to start the second half. You bring up a good point with regards to him not allowing hits with runners in scoring position. Uh, On the flip side, the Giants were 0 for 19 against the Dodgers with runners in scoring position. And that, in a weird way, is why I look at those two games and go, yeah, okay, that happens. That's baseball. You know, I'm not, it's not that the Giants aren't for real. It's not that we, you know, have been uh, panning for fool's gold. It's just, yeah, that, that happened and it stunk. And boy, that shouldn't happen again because that almost never happens. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and clearly, I think there's going to be some motivation with Johnny Cueto starting against the Diamondbacks to, to win uh, the first game of this series. And, and you know, you got to beat the Diamondbacks anyway. You know the Padres and the Dodgers are going to take their wax to the Diamondbacks too. So you want to try to take advantage of those series. But also, they haven't lost four in a row all year. I'm sure they'd like to see that continue. And, you know, this is only the second time, as you mentioned, that they've lost three in a row. The other time when the Dodgers swept them back in San Francisco at the end of, of May. But this is a team that was, what, 16 and 10, 18 and 10, and 16 and 9 in their first three months. So they've played pretty consistent baseball. I mean, just from week to week. And there are a lot of reasons that go into that. I talked to a few major league managers and got their thoughts on a piece that is up up on our site today. But so I think they just got to get back to doing what they were doing, which is competitive starting pitching, get a lead early. And one thing that I think is a positive move in in a good direction is I think their bullpen is pitching a lot better. You know, you look at the fact that they lost three to one and three to two uh, in LA, despite going 0 for 19 with runners in scoring position. uh, It seemed like their bullpen had a lot to do with that, whether it's Harleen Garcia uh, really kind of settling in or or Jimmy Scherfee has been pitching well. You know, that does seem to be something that is fixing itself as we go along. So that that's a good thing to see. Yeah, it's rounding into form. <clears throat> it's You're starting to get the players and saying, okay, I, I can see this guy being around for next month too, uh, whether it's Dominic Leone or, or Jimmy Scherfe. It's starting to, to coalesce into p- pitchers you would expect to do well. And that has been a huge part of, of the Giants continuing to win over the last couple months is, is you know mixing and matching and figuring, okay, okay, this guy's just not going to work. Um, I do still wonder about a couple of particulars in the bullpen but uh, overall it's been it's been pretty darn solid and it's been helping the Giants more than hurting and to the point where I'm starting to think okay maybe they don't jump into the trade deadline derby and overpay for a reliever because you know that 15 other teams are going to want exactly that maybe it's shoring up the starting rotation maybe it is uh, getting some sort of bat I have people tweeting Joey Gallo Joey Gallo at me at all times and now I'm starting to think Hey, yeah, Joey Gallo. So I don't know. It is something like that might might be in order. Joey Gallo. Wow. 
I, do you think he could hit one to Alameda? Or wait, what, now, now I have to now I have to take Google Maps and zoom out and say, okay, what's the trajectory of a ball? Where is it? Oh no, so, oh that that would be going to San Lorenzo, actually San Lorenzo. Yeah, I think maybe like Candlestick Point. Like I think if you if you pull one, I, I think uh, the arc takes it to Candlestick Point. Ooh, now that would be kind of spooky. Yeah, that, that's sort of like the ghosts of Giants past. Uh, too high, too high. That's what I'd say when the ball was in the air. Um, but, you know, so I I just think that there are going to be a lot of options. And the bullpen is pitching in such a way where you can maybe get a, I'm not sure if you want to be in Game 7 of the NLCS and putting Jake McGee out there and patting him on the butt and saying, you know, go get him. I think maybe you need a little bit more help than that. At the same time, it may, I don't know, it might not be the, the crisis that it looked like a month ago. I do think think that the one thing that concerns me about, well, two things concern me about the Giants' two biggest leverage relievers. One, Tyler Rogers, we've already talked about the extra, the runner at second base rule is just made to screw with him. And he's not an ideal guy for those situations. And so it would be nice to have somebody who's a strikeout type reliever that you could put in those situations who isn't going to lose you the game on two ground balls. Um, the thing about Jake McGee that worries me is we've seen him be very effective when he's rested and lose a little bit of steam on his fastball and get pounded pretty hard when he's not. And we all know that, you know, September, if they're going to be gunning for a wild card spot or if they're trying to hold on to the division lead, that's when you push guys a little bit. That's when you push a Buster Posey. That's when you push some of your relievers and you ask them to throw three in a row. And we haven't seen Jake McGee kind of bounce back and, and, and pitch well when he's been used uh, uh, quite a bit. So I, I definitely think that's that back end of the of the bullpen um, kind of looms as a spot that that could be an issue. As uh, And we've already seen it be an issue early in the season. And the Giants were so good they overcame it because they just get leads in every game. But... Um, yeah, that's why I think that they're they're definitely going to look for a leverage reliever, and I think they're going to look for a starter. And if they can get a starter that's controllable, then all all the you know all more power to them. You know, which is why um, basically I I got I got to tell Dan Hayes not to write about because we all have to write a trade deadline story, right? So if he writes about the Giants trading for Jose Barrios and uh, and um, and Taylor Rogers, then I'll, I'll be left with nothing because that's my idea. That is like the the template. That is the uh, the Twins have a, a starter who is a, a fine starter, and he's also around for next year when the Giants have like Logan Webb penciled in as the opening day starter if they don't do anything else. So uh, going there and then getting the the high leverage reliever there, it would be uh, smart. It would be prudent. It would be helpful. It would be really pricey. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that Marco Luciano is going anywhere. Uh, but other than that, all names are on the table, several of them. And it, it's hard to know. I mean, this team feels like it deserves it. Uh, boy, I, I just, they have to be really comfortable with their minor league depth at the same time, really wary about giving away too much and not having the Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger uh, type uh, conveyor belt that the Dodgers had. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this too. It's really tricky for them to make evaluations on their own players because they're playing for the first time, you know, in, in more than a year. You know, they, they, their first round pick from uh, 2019, Patrick Bailey. Uh, I mean, he, he was, I think he was demoted from Eugene, wasn't he? Because he, um, just yeah. wasn't hitting. And so that's not really a referendum on his career, but if he's somebody that they thought might potentially listen, uh, listen, uh, to trade offers about, um, I, they're clearly not going to get a whole lot for him right now. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit tricky because they don't want to do something that, that sort of, 
kind of makes them move backward from what their main goal was, and that's to you know just completely level up this farm system and start getting inputs on the major league roster. And uh, you know, Elliot Ramos, another guy, he's he's really struggling at Double A. So if he's somebody that they thought, you know, okay, you know, we we like him, but uh, we we would trade him in the right situation. Well, you know, he's probably not doing a whole lot for his trade value over the last month. Hunter Bishop, too. I mean, you're talking three Hunter guys. Hunter Bishop can't even get on the field. Yeah, he can't yeah. even get on the field. So Yeah, that is three guys out of the top 10 uh, that had real high expectations going into this. Uh, that You're right. It, it, it's not a thin cupboard, but you are going to be giving up players that you that you really like that are really doing well that uh it's going to sting and i i don't know is this a team that you make the trades that sting uh, i remember 1997 since we brought that up in the beginning uh that brian sabian looked at that team and said you know what i'm gonna make a trade that stings i'm going to just empty the cupboard uh and you know get wilson alvarez and roberto hernandez and at the time he was lauded for it uh in the clubhouse outside of the clubhouse I I don't know if that kind of trade happens that often in, in baseball at all, not just the Giants, but at all. Just think of how many World Series the Giants could have won with Mike Caruso at shortstop. I mean, just think. <laughs> I shouldn't. I, I If Mike Caruso's listening, I'm sorry. I shouldn't throw you under the bus like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a different time and place. And I think it's all about what the directive is from ownership. And there are times that you know that ownership or um, managing partners or, or whoever on the executive board is telling baseball operations – you need to go for it. You, know, you need to win. Your job's on the line. Um, and, and you can see that sense of urgency, or and which sometimes becomes a sense of stupidity. Uh, I do not think the Giants are in that situation at all. Um, they totally trust Farhan. Totally. I mean, it's it's. It, I, somebody told me a long time ago that one of the biggest questions you need to ask yourself on a daily basis when you're a beat writer covering a team is, who's got the juice? And uh, that was, you know, before the steroid era. So that question kind of took on a different meaning over time. But but what 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 the uh, the, the sort of point was is who's making the decisions? Who really has the power to make those decisions? And sometimes it's the manager. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the GM. Sometimes it's not. And a lot of the big stuff will shake out based on how you can answer that question. And right now, Farhan has all the juice. I know that because Greg Johnson told me that. I know that because of everything that uh, has been reflected in the last couple of years. The fact Gabe Kapler is the manager of this team, and they didn't. Nobody swooped in and said, "No, no, no." Yeah, he wrote about coconut oil. We can't have him as the manager. Uh, you know that that was Farhan's choice, and so that's who the manager is. And I, I think that uh, you know that tells me that they are going to be prudent. They're not going to do things that are rash. They're not going to. Um, uh, do things that are, you know, sort of, uh, you know, short term for, uh, they're not going to make the sugar move. They're going to make the meat and potatoes move. You can't just drop a Mike Caruso reference and uh, expect me not to pounce on that when I get a, a, a turn to riff on it because I stare at, one of my hobbies is staring at baseball reference pages and his is one of the ones I stare at quite frequently because I can never make sense of it. You're talking a 21-year-old who hits 306. He finishes third in Rookie of the Year voting. He is a solid defensive shortstop. Like, that is a great profile. And then the next year, he's terrible. Uh, then he's in the minors for a couple of years, and then he's out of baseball. And 
I just, that's one of the ones that I, I will always just riff on, like, what in the heck happened? Because even in the minor leagues, he would walk as much as he struck out. He's like the, the type of player that I want to see in the modern game with the modern data because something went really, really wrong with that organization somewhere. It is fascinating. You think how many people had careers that kind of fizzled out because maybe what they did wasn't appreciated or maybe they weren't coached up in a way that could have been um, could have amplified what they did well. Um, in a way that, that that's player development is, is so much more efficient than it used to be. Uh, and I, I think that's pretty fascinating. And it's been kind of fun to watch uh, the Giants uh, uh, do that on, on kind of an overall level, not just with um, uh, not just with, you know, the, the, the guys who are young and coming up. And by the way, we talk about like the San Jose team and, and all the stars, especially the Latin American stars on that team. Look at what their strikeouts are as a staff. I mean, there's some pitching analytic stuff going on in, in the Giants minor league system that's pretty darn exciting. Uh, and a lot of it is guys who were non-drafted free agents, um, you know, especially from, from last year when they only had five rounds. They picked up a lot of guys, uh, you know, who were just sort of floating out there and, and they're going in there and they're striking out a ton of people. So um, I'm not sure where I started with this point, but um, it, it is it is pretty interesting to see how they're uh, applying all of these player development uh, models and ideas uh, to modern players. And the players are more receptive to it than ever, especially at the big league level more than ever. No one's telling you to, you know, take your take your um, binder and shove it. I mean, they're they're listening. They, they want to know what they can do to be more valuable and to stick in the big leagues even though it may mean that they put up less numbers and make less in arbitration, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's been kind of fascinating to watch that cultural shift. And the Giants are right at the forefront of that. I mean, they, they've got, you know, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, these guys buying in just as much as they have their young kids buying in. And I think that uh, that was the thing that, that stood out to me talking to those major league managers, Joe Girardi, uh, Joe Madden, Dave Roberts, uh, Bob Melvin, et cetera, um, was, you know, yes, it's, this is all about acquisitional uh, acumen with the Giants. Uh, and But give Gabe Kapler and give these coaches credit for basically creating the culture that allowed the players to buy in. So if Gabe Kapler is manager of the year in the National League, which you'd have to think that maybe he's a front runner at this point, um, it, it's, it's going to be because he basically created the environment that got Farhan's stuff to work. And that, that, that even though that's a different job it's the, uh, than, than a manager used to have. Um, it's it's not uh, it's not an unimportant job at all. Yeah, I I have been trying to figure out a way to sit, to write the hey Gabe Kapler is probably going to win one more Manager of the Year awards with the Giants than Bruce Bochy ever had, and there's just no way to write that without it be making it seem like a dig when it's not. It's it's more just uh, how did Bochy never win Manager of the Year with the Giants? I don't. know. That's probably its its own separate podcast. Yeah, and you know what? I I actually think we should expand the BBWA awards. I mean, it's probably the most valuable thing that we have as an organization. So why not leverage it? I think that we should have um, an executive of the year award in addition to a manager of the year award. I think we should have a reliever of the year award. And Jason Stark has made this point that Mariano Rivera, the first unanimous Hall of Famer ever, never won a BBWAA award because it's, you know, it's Cy Young, it's MVP, it's manager, it's rookie. So I think we should uh, expand him. What do you think? I think that that is a, a fantastic idea. We will have to revisit that because we're out of time. This has been episode 145 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, we will be back to figure out uh, if the Giants can still beat the Diamondbacks. They are sure hoping so. Uh, so we'll be back next week and we'll see you then.